Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. On this edition, if Manchester City goes down, do Europe's elite clubs go up? Also, what's going on at AC Milan And with their poor form, how can they avoid a Champions League St. Valentine's Day massacre against Tottenham Hotspur? And why is Nice the place to go to to hear that cry, Vive la Revolution Anglais! Miguel, Miguel, Miguel. What's going on at Manchester City? Every moment there is a new development in the story of their at finances, what's the latest? Which is slightly ironic because it's new developments every every few hours because I think this is going to be a long, long, long process. It could go anywhere from two to four years. But that length is matched by the potential effect on both English and European football. Uh, and it, it's worth clarifying one thing here because this has kind of provoked a big debate about financial fair play and its merits. But actually, this is about fraud. That's it. It's that serious. That that's what that's what City are essentially being being accused of through these alleged breaches, and that's why everyone was talking in such monumental terms about the potential consequences. So we're looking we're looking at FFP when maybe we should be looking at like Juventus in two thousand and six. Yeah, and hence people are talking about the, the stakes here, mm. uh, and it's why if if it's proven 
the Premier League has put itself in a position where I think the punishments would have to be exceptionally strong or else it almost delegitimizes the Premier League. But then, of course, the flip side of that is if the punishment is so strong, there's the argument that it could... Because we're suddenly into a situation, I suppose, where it's, it's possibly comparable to 2006 in Italy. And 2006 in Italy, of course, you could argue that pretty much ended, or at least definitively ended, Syria's dominance from the 90s. Yeah, it accelerated the talent drain from, yeah, from yeah, Italy. Yeah, There's no yeah. doubt about that. And it, it definitely affected the transfer market there, the international prestige, the ability to sell international rights for a lot of money, which is something that the Premier League has, has, has done brilliantly for years and years. I guess the thing is, if you're looking at this from a European perspective, how do you think Javier Tebas is looking at this? He must be on the, uh, the president of La Liga. He must be on the edge of his seat at the moment because he has explicitly said, and he has explicitly mm called out Manchester City and PSG for what he calls, well, what mm. Arsene Wenger called financial doping. And he's he's done that for a couple of years now, hasn't he? So it's interesting. From two, two years ago, I remember speaking to someone about kind of the, these, these trajectories, the European League and the position of the Premier League within that. And it was put to me that one of the reasons why the Premier League is so strong is because internationally it's seen as having very good governance. Now, people in England might actually disagree with that given, the, given that this is so unprecedented in terms, of, in terms of the amount of breaches and how strong they've gone. But just speaking to some European executives in the last week, they describe themselves as floored by the, by the number of charges. Uh, so I think that's quite interesting in the context of Tebas. I mean, from, from that perspective, you probably, right now, it's actually quite admirable from the Premier League that they've gone this strong. Um, well, because it presents a threat to their own product. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it, it is an example of, I suppose, of governance. Uh, and it's it's a difficult, a difficult process. You could say it's a difficult decision uh, with, with, with huge consequences. We essentially, we're, <laughs> we we are talking in terms of if all this is proven, where the last ten to fifteen years of Premier League history, and specifically the period that has made it the strongest league in Europe by a distance compared to any in history is a lie. Well, you can see you can see why their jaws are dropping in Europe, Andy, because the number of charges against Manchester City, over 100 charges with regards to their finances. Uh, this tweet from At The Bridge asks, how has that news surrounding Manchester City been received by the clubs across Europe? Fair enough, uh, by the administration across Europe. But what about the clubs? More than a little bit of schadenfreude. I think especially amongst the elite clubs of Europe. Now, we've said in previous weeks, particularly around the transfer window, there are a lot of middle-ranking clubs in Europe who have learnt not just to live with the financial dominance of the Premier League, but to make the most of it, to fill their pockets and to use it wisely and go forward and, and, and prosper. Through really. transfers. Yeah, exactly. Rather than exactly. through by, success on the pitch. By overcharging for players basically, by adding a little Premier League tax on. Um, but I think you've seen over the last couple of years the increasing desperation, and this feeds into the the, the resurrection of the Super League idea, really. The, the, the fact that, um, you know, the biggest proponents of that have been um, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus. Three clubs, well, two and a half clubs, certainly, who've really, really struggled financially to keep up with the Premier League and have got themselves in horrendous financial positions in trying to keep up with the biggest clubs in the Premier League. I mean, just this week, um, we've been talking about the latest about Jude Bellingham's future, for example. Now, Real Madrid have been talking to his family and his entourage for 
a long time now. I mean, we're talking like 18 months. He plus. wants to come home, does he? Well, well, no, Real Madrid's entourage have yeah. been uh, uh, talking but to But I'm saying him. Jude Bellingham, where does he want to go to? We don't know yet. Okay. We don't know yet. But the, the interesting development this week is what Real Madrid have been putting out there is that they don't think they can compete financially to make him the same sort of offer that a big team in, in the Premier League can. Now, say, if we think of Liverpool as being the, the, the front runners, how does their current position and their possible or probable inability to qualify for the Champions League this season, if, if they don't go and win it, how does that affect things? To me, it feels like Real Madrid throwing down some sort of gauntlet to Bellingham in its camp, saying, look, Look, you might not come here for the money, but come here for the glory. You know, we can help you win the Champions League. It's like they're trying to frame it publicly in a different way, which Real Madrid are very, very good at doing around transfers. But it is, again, something, Miguel, that underlines the gap that there continues to be. And we're talking in a situation where Real Madrid, compared to Barcelona and Juventus, certainly, have actually run themselves quite well financially over the last couple of years. They've lost a lot of big contracts, um, Bale and Isco. Madrid, Madrid particularly, they've, I would say. Yeah, they, they, they've, 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 saved, they've saved money, partly because of the, the, the stadium redevelopment, of course. But all that money that they set aside for Mbappe, they didn't end up spending. So they should have that. And yet they're still saying... We can't compete with the Premier League's best when they want to make a bid for, for Jude Bellingham. Well, one thing actually I've been meaning to address in all this, um, there's this argument lately that um, the Premier League is naturally very keen to push it, um, that oh, the Premier League finances the rest of Europe through the amount of players it buys. Mm. But it only finances it because the rest of Europe can no longer compete mm. uh, because of the strength of the Premier League. Um and that, that's not a that's not a healthy situation. But I suppose this is almost this is this this is where the actually football's global popularity, something that is so organic and so it's it the great beauty of the game is uh is presents it with a problem because by by, by definition, you can't enforce really um any sort of overall kind of regulations or structures on a market that essentially loads loads of different countries with with, mm. their, with their own laws, and from that perspective, it just becomes a pure open market. And why would the Premier League get into a situation where it it, it wants to kind of subsidise the rest of Europe? We're talking about distribution resources. Now, I suppose you, you you could argue this is where UEFA has to step in, but well, then <laughs> yeah, just but on then the what question of UEFA? Do they have questions to answer with regards uh, to the way that they? saw nothing wrong with, well, at least on on appeal, they saw nothing wrong with Manchester City's financial situation. Well, they, were, they weren't able to make it stick. Okay. And, and the, the, okay. The, 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 question, the question is, Miguel, does this make them look weak? What, the way the Premier League have gone in hard on City, does it make UEFA look weak? I know, it's, I know it's difficult to say before anything's been proven or not proven, but at the moment well, it puts UEFA in a difficult position. I suppose to, to be fair to UEFA, I mean, cause I, when I wrote my piece on City on Monday, uh, I had an executive describe it to me as the, pressing the nuclear button. And that was actually exact language used when UEFA banned City from the Champions League for two seasons back exactly three years ago almost in that initial. I suppose where UEFA potentially look weak is maybe in the response to the Court of Arbitration case, maybe how, how that was argued. Uh, sorry, the Court of Arbitration for Sport case. Uh, that, 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 that's where it could potentially... Look, ve- and, look very bad. And this is the interesting thing, you know, because you've got two 
competing football associations here, uh, competing for power, if you like, the Premier League versus UEFA. UEFA have got, you know, a, a issue here with regards to the return of the proposed Super League. Because if they're being weakened, if they're being weakened, why should those top clubs that they have banned from even discussing the Super League, why should they think that UEFA now can punish them? But you see, yeah. th- this is the issue with European football now, basically. It, 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 as nearly everyone says, it needs a reset for all sorts of reasons, from this kind of imbalance between the Premier League and the rest to the imbalance within leagues, which which is actually which is a contributory problem to the former, um, to the, the fact that they have to basically restructure the Champions League because they can't even... They can't address the fundamental. Problem. I mean, if you like, we're going to go to this the Swiss format in twenty twenty four, which is to reshape the group stage because the group stages are boring. But the group stages aren't boring because the format the format isn't the issue as we've just seen from the World Cup. The format is actually the difference the, of resources. Yeah, exactly. That make that makes it which that, is even more apparent in the Europa League. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That make that makes it so predictable. Uh, so something has to be done, but everyone is struggling for solutions. Um, and it, and it, but that that is precisely why, and you know. Everyone will have seen now the kind of press release from A22, one of the backers of the of the Super League, where they're talking about uh, 60 to 80 clubs now. And a lot of clubs are going to be looking at this because and are interested in it because the current system isn't working for them. And, and just on a quick point, because there might be people here who are still thinking, my head's spinning. My head, what is this all about? It's about where the money's coming from, basically. Because, it, you know, you can't, um, meet FFP requirements by basically, you know, you need to be able to self-fund. That 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 is that is that is clear. You know, and you need you need to be able to to balance your books over continuous three-year periods. And um, you know that that was the crux of the the UEFA case. is is slightly different in terms of the the, the Premier League cases has been discussed elsewhere. But what I think is interesting is the way that this new Super League proposal, Miguel it is framing it around, well, City have been allowed to get away with this. Uh. Therefore, we are the protectors of decency. We are the protectors of reasonableness. Mm-hmm. Who's that, the UEFA or the European clubs? No, the, 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 the organisers yeah. of um, A22, the organisers of the prospective Super League, which would be run by the clubs in the same way that the Premier League is, is, is run by the clubs. And I, I find that extraordinary, given that, the biggest reason that, say, Barcelona and Juventus want it is to get rid of all these huge losses that they've been running up. Yeah. But also, it's, it's, it's not just... I think that's that's often a description you get in European mm. football. Is basically, it's just a mass refinancing and absolutely do not disagree with that. Mm. But I think there is an, there's an extra element which is related to that. What, what this actually is, if you stand back now and even you know, people can look at the details, but in its essence, it's essentially it's an attempt to create a Premier League that replaces the Champions League. And by that I mean, mm. the Premier League is, it's, it's, a, it's a member it's the of the right, It's the right for the clubs to run it. It's yeah, not actually yeah. about that, the competition that, itself. Yeah, that's exactly it. Is yeah. it? Because UEFA is the governing body and the competition yeah. organiser. And, and they would attempt to suppose, by definition, like this isn't necessarily their stated intentions or, or their implicit intentions, but by definition, it would mean almost that UEFA basically becomes like the EFL underneath the the clubs kind of own super competition on top of that. Mm. <laughs> They're not going to like that, are they? UEFA. Yeah. Well, they view it as an ex- existential threat. Hence, when when A twenty two 
uh, when they went to when they were invited to Neon for a discussion back in October, <laughs> it essentially turned into there were there was thirty four people in front of them, and it turned into a, a slanging well, not even a slanging match. It wasn't a match. It was basically just them um, taking uh, criticism <laughs> as I think well, as they put it, kind of a, something close to abuse. Uh, <laughs> and Andy? I guess I guess the question is, say. Let's imagine for a moment the Premier League charges against Manchester City don't stick for whatever reason and they move away from this. I realise it's not just about FFP. It's about financial clarity and um, fraud. But if City were able to walk away from this without a spec on them, does this move free market capitalism in football onto another level? And is FFP dead? It, it, I mean, it would feel like. I mean, it, I, I, I think the biggest consequence though is what it could potentially do for the perception of the Premier League because they've, they've again, as, as as someone involved put it to me the other day, the length of the charges are such and the seriousness that this is all or nothing. Mm. Uh, that that that's why it's such a monumental event. Uh, or a, a potentially monumental outcome, and as you say, especially what it would say about where where football is. But then, fo- I mean, football with the Premier League as the mo- as the greatest example of that. And w- w- to be fair, UEFA for all UEFA's many flaws, I suppose UEFA is trying to kind of it does try to impose some sort of element of kind of redistribution. It just it doesn't go it doesn't go anywhere near far enough because of the power of the big clubs. Yeah, but in contrast to that. The Premier League, again, has been put to me today. It's basically, it's, it's a model of rampant capitalism. How much worse can it get for Milan is the question that 40 Hands is asking us on Twitter. And by the way, you can get in touch anytime you like during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adibio, at Andy Brassel, and at Miguel Delaney. Um... Given that Milan, Andy, have only won once in 2023, and that was a 2-1 victory against Salernitana in the first game of 2023, and they're about to face the Spuds in a St. Valentine's Day uh, matchup. Um, on, I know you, you stopped on... sort of massacre <laughs> on this occasion. <laughs> simply Is there beca- the potential simply, sim- for a simply, simply because yeah, on. it's very hard to imagine Spurs being expressive enough to to, to go <laughs> rampant on anyone, isn't it? Listen, and, I'm you know, in you know, seventeen all the way, look, so look, we live in hope. They've they've had a few positive moments recently, Spurs, but it would be an exaggeration to say handbrake off. However, Milan are the reigning champions of Italy in a very vulnerable place. Now, I know when this draw originally came out, people will have looked back and said, Milan were terrible twice against Chelsea. I would say realistically, they were terrible once against Chelsea and then got Fikayo Tomori sent off very, very early in the second game, which massively affected the the outcome. But they didn't cover themselves in glory, I think it's, it's, it's very t- fair to say. And that's a dig deep to, to get themselves into the next round. Um Milan came back in that game uh, that you mentioned against Salernitana and they, they looked the part. They looked really good. Since then, they have been uniformly dreadful. After the, the Derby defeat at Inter at the weekend, in which the first half they were just atrocious. You had to watch that, didn't you, for us? Because that was your game of the week last week, wasn't it? Yeah, it you was. Had to watch uh, it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> dreadful. Uh, you know, the food made up for it. Yeah. It, it, was, it, it was terrible. And I think 
the the worst thing about that game was, and it's, it's the uh, the fourth game that they lost in a row. They're kind of trying to tighten up because the previous two games they'd conceded five and four. The first time in Serie A history, as we've seen in the game of the week segment last week, that uh, Milan have conceded four or more in successive Serie A games. So a, a pretty big thing for them, and it felt that they'd you expected them to tighten up, especially for the derby game. But you expected them to be aggressive. And actually, it seemed as if they'd lost faith in their methods. And it seemed Mm. as if Stefano Pioli, their very, very highly regarded coach, or certainly very highly regarded their coach, and obviously Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been a big proponent of him, helping him to get the job ahead of Ralph Rangnick when when he was going to get it in a sort of general manager slash head coach kind of capacity. Um, they, They were just so passive, so defensive, that's not how Milan won the title. Yeah. If we go back to the first half of, of of 2023, I know I'm not setting this up to be an incredible <laughs> first leg in, in in Milan between these two, but it's, it's it's a real concern. Like Milan have looked so far from their best selves. It's not just been the results; it's been the content of the games. They've yeah. just been really dreadful in recent weeks, and whatever they've been doing in training this week, it needs to be a lot because they were so far off it last week in a match that should mean everything, really, the I derby. Standing back a bit, um, I mean, again, when you see this tie, you think Spurs, Milan, and historically, obviously, Milan would have been the giant. But when you actually consider where the, club, where the clubs are now, especially on recent form, what, what it was at both Chelsea-Milan Chelsea, games, this almost, again, it touches on our... Um, our, our the previous discussion on on the strength of the Premier League, but it almost feels like one of those games, like where it's it's basically you say a Manchester City against when they get one of those German side like Borussia Mönchengladbach in the last sixteen, and just just swat them aside. I think it does have the potential for this, and I do wonder. I mean, honing in a Milan a bit, whether this is just a consequence of kind of an inevitable consequence, almost where, of course, everyone will look to Pioli, but it's. When the club is run as ascetically as it is, and it will be for some time as they restructure what it is and kind of build up, teams like that and squads like that, they can't sustain what they do. Like, there's going to be drop-offs. Uh, and I do, I remember speaking to someone when I did, a, before the Chelsea-Milan game, I did a piece on where Milan are as a club and kind of spoke to people who worked in all that. And one of the lines was, it, it, where they are right now, the title was probably ahead of schedule. They came in quite mm. an opportune period in Italian football, and and it's why for the moment they're not—they're almost not behaving as a club that has won a title and wants to kind of you know, create a dynasty. It's about actually putting in a more sustainable base uh, and then yeah. building from there over the longer term. Which is which is why I think at the moment they're not that there's contentment about where they are, but um, but there, I think there was a prior acceptance that this might be the case. We win a title back down as a Champions League qualifier regularly. Yeah, I mean, the success has kind of pushed them into a corner by a, a, a certain yeah, yeah. point of view, hasn't it? Like like you say, because one of the major things been hanging over them over the last month, well, not just over the last month, it's been going on for a, a quite a while, but it's intensified in the last couple of weeks, is the contract extension or not of Rafael Leal. Mm. And because he was Serie A's MVP last season, now he was really inexplicably left out by Pioli in the start of this. And given that Milan wanted to play on the counter-attack, leaving your best and fastest player on the bench was quite a foolish move. But it's reflective of the fact that maybe he's a little bit unsettled 
at, at the moment because they're struggling to get this deal over the line. And because he is a player who is of interest to Premier League clubs, you know, he's he's a great player already with potential to get even better in his early 20s. If Milan want to keep him, Milan do want to keep him, and they still feel relatively confident on keeping him, even though there were reports earlier this week that contract talks have broke down, denied by both player and club. They're playing with real money. If they're going to compete with yeah, yeah. Premier League, are they really ready for that? Are they really ready for the financial side of it? I mean, they went and made a, a, a big signing in uh, Charles de Quetelera this, this mm-hmm. summer, who... He's fitting with what they're trying to do. He's someone who they think is going to be a, a great in the future. And maybe they've got an eye after a, like three or four great seasons to selling him on to a Premier League club for a great profit. Now, that in itself is remarkable that we're talking about Milan maybe mm. doing that. But they are in a position where they're, they're having to make some decisions that maybe they wouldn't have had to. But it does feel, like you were saying, Miguel, that Serie A is a little bit vulnerable to that. I mean, we've seen with what an incredible season Napoli are having, you know, that you can have this Tyro team that grabs the league by the throat. I'm not sure Napoli can do that this season or Milan can do that in the back end of last season if the Mm. level of the league is a really, really high level. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Getting back to the romance though, I can't get away from St. Valentine's Day. Um, the question from Billy Ray on Insta, because romance, it can work both ways. You know, you can suffer a backlash, can't you? <laughs> we all know that. Billy Ray on Insta says, should Tottenham be worried about the Milan backlash after they lost the derby to Inter? Um, and how can they get it together to face Tottenham in the Champions League? Well, I, and- I'd be worried about a backlash if there are two teams on fairly equal terms. But as we've just spent the last few minutes discussing, mm. they're not. Well, I, th- I, well think, mm. I think in terms of the actual football... I would I would have always said this was going to be quite a close tie because Tottenham are not well oh, oh, yeah, go, yeah yeah I, that's I, true I, yeah I think, yeah I think that's part of it yeah and they're still quite reliant on a couple of players so Kane yeah. Son to a lesser extent Kulusevski shining for them to really make those decisive moments and Tottenham made incredibly hard work of that group stage yeah. by the way I mean I just wonder with this. This is big for Conte, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, because he's never really quite done it in the Champions League. It's the only area of his coaching career that he's he's, he's fallen a little bit short. Also because his his work at Tottenham is not quite convincing. Yeah. Because I think there's always been that sense that he's thought he's a little bit too good for them. And, and, And the footballers suggested... Is he really good enough for them I, I, anyway? I have to say, I did, I, in context, I, have to say, I thought last season was very impressive. Yeah. Like they, they had no right to qualify for the Champions League no, given where they that, were. That's, that's fair and, to say. And yeah. they, had, they went an incredible surge. Just actually on, this, on the Champions League, where do you stand on this argument that um, he's done it because of some inherent flaw in his approach or it's just coincidence that where he... I mean, I suppose there's an element of coincidence in where he was when Juve were there, um, which is kind of... Syria was in a strange position. Juve themselves went back up. He only competed in the Champions League with Chelsea in that one season when it was basically his nightmare season. But then, yeah, I think that's it. I think Inter he, is almost a control, though, isn't it? I think I think he set up his Champions League reputation quite early on with what happened at Juventus. Yeah. When bear in mind he was still reconstructing Juventus at that point, so I think to expect them to do something in the Champions League was probably a bit much. He's made a rock for his own back by sort of 
going in after that season, when he, when he left in 2014 and said, I can't win the Champions League with this lot. And then <laughs> Max Allegri gets them to the final with the same set of yeah, players yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the very next season. So that has reflected badly on him. As you said, he's not had the consistency, either of clubs or of resources, to really change things since then. But it's, it's funny because, I mean, it's, it's clear that he'll probably leave at the end of the season. Is it? Yes. It's, yeah. it's, it's clear that he probably would like to go back to Italy. Depending on how things go at, at Milan for the rest of this season for Pioli, I wouldn't completely rule out him going to Milan. I wouldn't rule out him going back to Inter either. I think but but, both, of, both of those are quite interesting. But I think what, what is interesting, we always think of Conte as being very demanding and wanting particular resources and being very specific on what he wants. When we were talking about the difference in resources between the Premier League and Serie A, Miguel, I wonder, say, say Inter giving him everything he wants is easier than Spurs giving him everything he wants because I think... <laughs> it's on a what, different what, scale. Yes, exactly. The, the, the <laughs> yeah. scale's just too much. So I just wonder if Conte going to Spurs was always destined to failure not just because they weren't a genuine contender when he arrived. And as Miguel said, he did a brilliant job to even get them in the Champions League. But the sort of demands that he can make at Inter or maybe he could make at Milan further down the line for you know some experienced players to like level out the squad. It's an easier fix in Serie A, I think. And it's more financially doable to get the everything he wants at the Premier League level. There's this perception that Tottenham are mean and don't spend enough money and all, all those other cliches that, that people have about Tottenham. But what would it take for them to, to meet what he wants? It would take the sort of wealth, really, that Manchester City have. Yeah, yeah. It? This is almost... A, this is actually one of Conte's flaws, I would say. Uh, now, but it comes from one of his strengths. And that it almost feels like he... So he does hit... Because this happened to us. It happened to Juve, it happened to Chelsea, it happened to... Happened to Tottenham, and I happened to Inter, I suppose. It's like he comes in, he has his immediate effect, which is incredible, and you can see what a brilliant coach he is. Then it's almost like his immediate response to that, rather than kind of sustainably building what he has. It's like, well, I've done my part. Time for you to do yours. Uh, and and, 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 and that, 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 that is basically the pattern. Uh, and, and it gets him into these kind of almost, then this, these doom spirals. And when we talk about what he really wants, does he really want Inter or does he really want Roma if he was to leave Tottenham? Does he does he isn't Roma the club the Luke, or the club that everybody wants to well, fill their boots? Roma's with? an interesting one because from what I've been told from a few people, there's a perspective they're very much one of the rare, one of the rare European clubs now actually on the rise with a lot, with a lot of potential. Um, who can and also they're quite influential in the ECA after the post um, Super League changes, uh, and a lot of managers are eyeing them up as a, as a potential. You know that, that could be a club I could be interested in, like Pochettino. Pa- Pac- 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 we, we, we think we think Mourinho's letting that go in a rush because that's I exactly don't. it. And and on the other side of that, the club are very invested in Mourinho. Mm. Um, Would another way to put that being they are. Totally <laughs> drunk on Mourinho juice. I mean, the thing is, the whole totally. club, yeah, the yeah. whole club, is totally intoxicated by them. We've talked yeah. about it before. The fact that they're they're selling out the Olympico week after week after week, which is no small feat. By they're the way, they're on the way up. They, they, they? they really. Are. And you know what? At the moment, they are playing like a good Mourinho team. In that, as we were saying on here yeah, a couple yeah, of weeks ago, the way that they manage games, the way that they squeeze the life and joy out That's of games. That's why they're selling out the stadium. 
Mm. Well, well, yeah, but I, I, I guess, but the, the selling out the stadium came before that really clicked. I, I, I would argue. I, I would say that's been what's on the pitch has followed from the atmosphere. I, I, I would yeah. say it's also followed from the fact, as, as, as we've also said, the fact that Abraham and Dybala are, are getting on like a, a house on fire. Yeah. So you could argue that, especially with Dybala's fitness issues historically, it's slightly built on a on a house of cards. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Dum to dum, dum to dum, to dum to dum dum. Oh, I do like to be beside the seaside. It is so nice in. Sorry, it's so nice in Nice. Sorry, 
One of those things that you get confused with. It is nice in Nice at the moment, isn't it? It's nice to be... So that's not center. how Hugh Cornwall would have said it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any, any, anyway. I know Hugh Cornwall, but let's leave that to one side. We speak Swedish with one another. <laughs> but no, things are happening for Nice. On the Côte d'Azur, um, it's an English revolution they're talking about. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and uh, it has been for for a while. Obviously, the club has been owned for a couple of years by uh, Ineos and... Um, Jim Ratcliffe, uh, celebrity Brexiteer slash fracker, who has been uh, linked with um, buying Chelsea and Manchester United in recent weeks. So obviously there's been, uh, or in recent months, so there's obviously been interest in the way that he's run Nice and he prospectively might run uh, a Manchester United. There's also been a little bit of concern in Nice about what happens to us now. If he's looking and he's been quite unashamedly looking at buying a big Premier League club, does that mean they become second-class citizens? I I think it's interesting because in one way, Ineos took a a more sort of hands-on approach to running the club at the start of the season, and it didn't really go particularly well. So... You have they brought back Lucien Favre, who's a very, very successful coach for them before. But there's this intense dislocation, really, because um, Favre's used to running the club in one way. On the other hand, you have Dave Brailsford, of all people, in a sort of almost Clive Woodward move. He becomes this like de facto director of football. He decides what the team needs is more British experience. So they bring in Casper Schmeichel, they bring in Aaron Ramsey. Later, it didn't work out well, though, initially, didn't it? No, and later they bring in Ross Barkley, and uh. Favre goes, um, I don't even know what position he plays. He's a Nigerian, is all I can say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, well, there you go. They should have had you as director of, uh, a de facto director of football. But, but, but now things have, have changed a little bit. Um, we'll come to the fact that they've been Lucien Favre in a minute. But what they've done is they've started to put together a proper management structure. Basically, because they've got lots of money, they've stolen um, or, or, or bought up Lanz's, um football structure. So Florent Gisolfi, who has helped them recruit really well and become the great team they are in, in Ligue 1 at the moment, the sporting director, they've recruited him. He's brought a couple of staff with him. So there are two ways of looking at this because talking of Nigerians, they've, spent nearly 30 million on a striker on Terran Moffi, who's terrific forward, who West Ham were interested in, but he preferred to go to Nice in the the, the transfer window. And there there were there were two ways of looking at this. One, you could think from a Nice perspective that Ineos are all in and they're still spending money and they're still making investment and they still want to make Nice the best. The other one, Miguel, is by putting in Gisolfi and the people below him, they're setting up the club to manage itself if they're then concentrating on a Premier League big boy if Jim Ratcliffe wants to go and buy one of those. <laughs> Which, yeah, um, I know there's been a lot of noise about um, Qatar in the last 48 hours. Now, that, that, I, I find that interesting. So the way it was put to me, actually, and I, and I absolutely don't mean to kind of uh, delegitimize de- 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 any other journalist stories in that sense. It's more it's more just what, what passing on what I've been explained. If they... The issue with any Qatari buyer for, say, Manchester United would be that 
the big political project is Paris Saint-Germain for Qatar. Mm. And they and the state wouldn't really want anything encroaching on that unless it basically had sanction from the top level, which is maybe the more, the more interesting aspect of this. But it does mean that for the moment, what people are telling me is it's still the most likely buyer of Manchester United is, is indeed, as you've been alluding to there, is uh, Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think there can be any comparison made between how the, the, the two clubs would be run, really. I mean, yeah, going, yeah. going back yeah. to, to, to QSI, I think what's quite interesting is that they're clearly f- fleshing out what their future strategy are. I think at the moment, QSI have possibilities rather than a definite roadmap to, to where they want to go. Because you look at how they've um, bought like 20% of Braga, hmm. for, for example... Now, they've clearly not decided exactly how they're going to run that. There's a little bit of an informal partnership between PSG and Braga at the moment. But we had Vitinha, who we were talking about with David last week, the great hope of the Braga Academy, mm. bought out of his Braga contract by Marseille, who are the big rivals of PSG. Now, if PSG are further down the line, if they decide exactly how they're going to use Braga, how are they going to let one of the companies? big young stars go to a, a, a domestic rival of PSG. Well, they're not because he's not on their list at the mm. moment because they haven't exactly decided how they're going to influence things at, at Braga quite yet. But in terms of coming back to Nice, I think whatever happens, whether the, the, the English influence sort of gradually steps away mm. and, and the club's left to run itself. Can, can you the, only judge whether this is a real revolution an English revolution, a revolution meaning change, mm. at least. That's what Gil Scott Heron told me. And and it won't be televised either, obviously. But And, um, and he had some British football influence. So we have to talk about Right, well done you for remembering that. Celtic, Celtic, Celtic all the way. But isn't the real measure of whether this is a, an English revolution, um, isn't that measure whether or not Nice is able to be one of the top clubs in France. Cause, well, like, I mean, uh, just, cause, just as, you're, as you're talking there, and even that question leads on to it, what, what occurred to me, basically, can you imagine how much vitality there'd be in the French League if Paris Saint-Germain weren't owned by Qatar? It'd, it'd be, because what we're seeing underneath that now, is yeah. it's, it's, got, it's got a real vibrancy to it. Yeah, and I, I think you see that kind of, when you have any dominant club for um, a long period, and we saw that to a lesser extent when Lyon won seven titles yeah, in, yeah. A, in, in a row. The others lose hope. And we've seen that in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Like everyone behind Bayern is so poorly organised. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's happened to Schalke over the last couple of years? Even Dortmund. You know, yeah. Dortmund are in no position to receive any sort of opportunity that they might get. You look at where Lyon are at the moment in France comparing to that situation. The fact is, if you believe that there's no hope, why do you need to be ready to receive an opportunity? You don't. So it leads to those other poor clubs being poorly managed. Now, Nice are trying to get in that pack of other clubs, so it's a little bit different. And Ineos came in with the view that we are going to qualify for the Champions League. Now, they thought of the season, uh, and consistently, now they thought at the start of the season that Favre, the last coach to get them in the Champions League qualifiers, was the way to do that. But it turns out that there's this kind of weird hybrid model because Favre didn't connect at all with his English paymasters. It didn't work at all. And the fact that he, he was really just disinterested in some of those players. Now, you think Aaron Ramsey took ages to come back off the World Cup. I think he came back three weeks late in the end. And Favre was asked in a press conference, 
Uh, where is he? Have you spoken to him? And he's like, no, I haven't spoken to him. I don't know. Hopefully he'll come back soon. And he obviously didn't care <laughs> at all whether he came back or not. Now, I have some sympathy for that because Aaron Ramsey has had fitness issues over the last couple of years. But what I think is amazing, since Favre got the boot after they went out of the cup to third-tier opposition, by the way, which was humiliating for them, Didier Diga, remember him from Middlesbrough? Midfielder, also played for Nice, so it's his club. He's the second team coach, got promoted on the interim. Five matches. Four, first one, he wins 6-1 against Montpellier. And they've, they've won four and drawn one of those five games. In the last week, they've beaten Lille, they've beaten Lens, and they won at Marseille. Now, La- La- yeah, Lens had won all their home games until Nice went there. They won at Marseille, who hadn't lost at all since in, in, in the league since October. It's an incredible effort, and, and they really deserved it. And do you know what? Aaron Ramsey and Kasper Schmeichel are playing really well. Ramsey looks fit. I think he had more ball recuperations than anyone else on the pitch. So he wasn't just doing his thing and letting his technical quality do the work for him. He's actually physically engaged. Schmeichel looks like a leader. He's made one unbelievable save from Genghis Under at the weekend. That's what they wanted him to be at the start. They wanted him to be a leader, but for some reason he didn't feel empowered to do that at the start of the season. And maybe because he's got a younger coach who he needs to help out. He's really been that now. So I wonder if this is kind of the perfect storm at the moment of local help, local ideas and English influence. And if this could be working out quite well for them, because, you know, they're at a point where they're, they're in no hurry to give the permanent job to anyone because Digar is doing such an incredibly good job and they look energised and all the things that they didn't in the first part of the season. But who'd have thought that the British lot would be part of that? After this discussion today, you guys better have some great games of the week for us because you've set us up uh, to, to relish uh, what comes next this weekend. Um, do you have a game of the week to suggest for us, Andy? Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go Saturday afternoon. Um, four o'clock. Um, I'm sure you'll find a way to watch it. Uh, well, that's it, a normal time for football for us. Ex- exactly. Um, it's, it's, it's Monaco versus PSG, which is always a huge game. It's particularly huge because PSG don't look in great shape. Domestically, they're fine, of course, because Lens and Marseille have slept up a little bit recently, so they've got an eight-point lead at the top again. PSG were knocked out of the cup by Marseille on Wednesday night in what was just a tumultuous atmosphere at the Velodrome. First time that Marseille have won a home classic in nearly 12 years, by the way. So something that PSG would definitely be feeling. Um, Collectively, I thought thought they were very poor in this. Marseille were better than them. Um, Now, they they pressed them really hard, just like they did to Tottenham in the the Champions League. They went um, man-to-man, a bit like prime Leeds Bielsa for some of that. (laughs) And Igor Tudor does demand real fitness from his players. Um, But but in in the bits where they sat off to get a breather, Tottenham were able to eventually take advantage of that in, in that Champions League. PSG didn't have the wit to do that. Largely, they didn't have the wit to do that because there's no Kylian Mbappe, which is a huge problem going into this game with Bayern Munich. Now, you would have said that PSG are the huge favourites for that like a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if they are anymore because Bayern yeah. are starting to come back to, to being themselves. Got a good goalkeeper in 
in Jan Zoma. That's the other thing we didn't point out with Milan earlier, that, that the fact that they're missing Mike Maignan, who's going to be Hugo Lloris's eventual replacement, is um has been a huge influence on how bad they've been over the last the last couple of weeks. But I just think PSG need a convincing performance in this to get themselves ready for the the, the, the game against the, the game against um, Bayern. In terms of food, well, it's in Monaco. Probably best to take sandwiches. Yeah. Everything's very very expensive <laughs> there. You could, you could pay a lot for some 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 very I, average food. I I I was able to afford an ice cream there once. It was many years ago though. <laughs> really. That's no word of a lie. That's true. <laughs> How the other half live? Ice creams in Monaco. It's, well, I watched the other half right, living. Okay. They're having a laugh. <laughs> they didn't even notice me. And Miguel, game of the week? Uh, I'll go for a Napoli Cremonese uh, on, the, on the one side because it, it, we're at the point now it feels like you have to watch Napoli every week. Uh, as much because, and this, something that, this was something that really struck me in what I think was probably the best 20 minutes I've seen from the domestic game this season, or the club game, should I say, beyond the World Cup, uh, which was the the Napoli-Roma game, which it feels like Napoli are playing as if, if they don't keep, it's almost like a shark, if they don't keep it 100% all the time, if they, it's as if everything's going to collapse. They didn't play like a team with a massive lead in the that's, league that's, in that that's game. Exactly, yeah. that's they, exactly they, they it. They played yeah. as if we have to win this yeah, game, yeah. this is the only yeah. game that counts. That's yeah. the way to do it. And then the other side, of course, from a team that uh, can't stop winning, a team that can't win, <laughs> unless it's in the cup. <laughs> Cremonese. Um, so I, I think I think Napoli will be keen to have a bit of a go at them. Do you might explain yeah, yeah. that, except in the cup, though. For those well, who given this superb run they're on, which is what it's, it's away wins against Roma, Napoli. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So, uh, Cremonese have not won a single game in the league. They can't buy a game in the league, but they can be some of the top yeah. contenders for the cup. It's mad, including yeah. Napoli, who they're playing this Saturday. So, <laughs> dare I ask how that will pan out? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the intro. Maybe, maybe you know, Cremonese, Cremonese. This is the sort of game Cremonese need in that sense. But, you know, you'd have to think, I mean, at the very least, we're getting a goal fest. And is uh, it sandwiches? I suppose. I mean, it's got to be something Neapolitan, really, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm, 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 ice I'm, cream I'm, again. I'm there in a month and a half for the England-Italy um, game. So <laughs> Drop Ancelotti a text, yeah, yeah, ask him yeah, for yeah, some yeah, tips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chichi, fruity or rooty. I mean, a cannoli, a cannoli would always go for a snack. Otherwise, you can go for yeah. just one cornetto. <laughs> Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.